Price for Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. We're coming to you from the GoGoat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee, and that's here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're planning a holiday party, there is 55,000 square feet of striking indoor and outdoor space here. Call them 604-893-7370. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price. Grady Sass hitting switches, conducting things. The show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. We're at the Applewood Nissan dealerships. That's Richmond, that's Langley, that's Surrey. You can finance the 23 road from 3.99%. Lease or finance the 23 slash 24 leaf from 6.99%. And then at the Infinity in the Richmond Auto Mall, the 2023 QX50, lease it from 3.49%. The 23 QX60, what I drive, I love it. 2.99%. Because, Blake Price? It's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today is Phil DiGiuseppe giving you Alex, Vero, Alex Burrow's vibes. Yes or no? You can vote at Sickerson Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog line of the day for me. World Series starts Friday as a neutral. Hoping for a long series. Over five and a half games at minus 180. If you like it to go seven, pace plus 190. On your Bodog line of the day. I really wish Phil DiGiuseppe had a two in front of his age. That's the key issue here. If he's 24, I am full on yes onto the poll question. But at the age of 30, alas, I have to vote no. So here's where he gives me Alex Burrow's vibes. Late bloomer, doing the grunt work, the spade work for more gifted line mates, Mm -hmm. offensively gifted line mates, and can get line mates playing with pace. Remember A.V. used to always say about Burroughs, he gets the Twins playing with pace, and I think DiGiuseppe can and does help J.T. Miller, but more more acutely Brock Besser playing with pace. And, you know, the whole notion of a career journeyman dropping into a top, top six and, and having success. So I voted yes on the poll question because all of that. Now, I do not see Phil DiGiuseppe turning into a 35-goal scorer. Heck, he scored his first goal as a Vancouver Canuck last night. I suspect there will be a lot of nights where he's the secondary assist on a goal by either Miller or Besser. I suspect there will be a lot of nights where he does something good and doesn't get on the scoreline of a Canucks goal because the puck has touched a couple sticks henceforth. We should clarify. First of the season. As oh, sorry. Yeah, first of the season yeah. as a Vancouver Canuck. So... Yeah, I don't see him being a 35-goal scorer. I also don't see him being one-third of the best line in hockey, which, of course, Alex Burroughs was at one point with the Twins. Um, but a career high this year at the age of 30, if that's the question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. 17 points is his career high. Oh, Seven goals sure. is his career high. For sure. Uh, funny career arc, too, because his first three seasons in the NHL, he got really good looks from the Hurricanes. 41 games played, mm-hmm. 36 games played. 49 games played back in 2017-18. And then it's an even more interesting. Like, how many guys do you see do this, Matt? Play like five straight years Mm -hmm. of 20 to 30 games. Like, generally, teams make up their minds on you at that point of whether or not you're a full-time NHLer or you're the AHL guy that's going to be the leader down on the farm. And he's continually forced the NHL teams to give him long looks whilst not doing enough mm-hmm. to be a full-time National Hockey League. Like, honestly, I don't know that you could find 
a career quite like it because generally <laughs> you'll have guys make up their minds on you right now. And they, he's continually forced, I think, some second guessing from all the organizations he's been a part of, Hurricanes, Preds, and Rangers until this point of, now maybe we could give this guy 20 more games here this season, you know? So um, credit to him. He's, he's not going away here at the age of 30 maybe poised to get the best look of his career at being a regular everyday contributor. Mm-hmm. And he was down kind of going back and forth for about a decade, whereas Burroughs, what was it, three years in pro hockey before he made the Canucks? But all the way down to the ECHL, ECHL so there's the yeah. difference there. So he came All the from, way back from the ball hockey league, too. He, yeah, he came from deeper depths, but didn't have to, uh, you know, plug away as long down there in the uh, in the minor leagues. But he's been a great story. There's been a lot of great stories. I mean, Niels Hoglander, another point last night. I mean, um, the role players haven't been huge contributors. The, the, certainly the stars have carried the day. Um, but there's been enough good stories there in the bottom six, I think, that um, I think the Canucks have to be happy. Mikheyev getting on, he's not a bottom six guy, but he's – you know, a question mark guy coming into this season at the very least, coming off of surgery. You know, him getting a goal already. Um, a lot is going right, as you expect with a four and two team. Lots going right for the uh, for the team right now. A three two victory last night in Nashville, where they once again carry a two goal lead into the third period. Unlike Saturday in Florida, they don't blow this lead. They're able to close it out for a three two victory. They had precisely one. 3-2 regulation victory all last year, Blake. We often talked about how the Vancouver Canucks just seemed out of step with the way that the league scoreboard, the the daily box scores often look as they were either scoring a bunch of goals and losing or scoring a bunch of goals and winning or getting... Anyways, it's the sort of games I think we were anticipating with Rick Talk at hockey. We didn't see him through the first... Five, we saw a lot of high event hockey through the first five. Last night, a little bit more of a garden variety NHL Tuesday night win. And what I love about it is we're praising the Vancouver Canucks defensive effort, and the goaltender is not the headline there. It, it was the skaters in front of them. JPAD picked Philip Ronick and Ian Cole as the top two stars in the game last night. And it's the sort of win that Rick Tockett, first of all, that his style is going to produce, but the sort of game that you need to win in this league. And Tockett was talking about that uh, in the post game because, you know, not only do you close out Nashville, but you survive a couple of late penalties. Let, let's hear from the coach on the win, and then we'll come back and discuss. Well, I think it's game management, things like that. Um, you know, there's been pockets of it. I think tonight we put it all together where, you know, they made some presses, and I thought we handled their presses pretty good. Um, you know, it's, it, it, you know you, it's, it's a really good road trip after winning this game. You know, if you lose the game, then it's like, okay, trip, trip type of thing. But winning this game, the psyche of the players, it's like, hey, you know, if we stick with the, the process and the staples, all the – you know, the stuff I always say every day, it works. There was development on the road trip, right? They 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 changed. They were getting hammered shots on goal at the right. start of the road trip. They finished, as Rob Williams pointed out last night, that's the third time since 2015 that they limited their opponents to 17 shots yeah. or fewer. 
Nashville had eight at the midway point. Yeah. So. Uh, but you heard Talkit. They put it all together in terms of what he's looking for, what his system demands. And, of course, it was a huge swing game road trip-wise yeah. because, you know, two and three is manageable. But three and two. You'll take it. You'll take five, three especially, and two on a five game roadie all day long. Especially with this team, yeah. Especially how they've been buried in October with road trips. Especially coming off the eight one win in Edmonton, because now you're coming home with with momentum in your corner, heading into this back to back against St. Louis and the Rangers on Friday. I mentioned the late penalty killing prowess because Jeff Blake and I are in here on Rinkwide and looking at each other, going, "If this is last year's team." There is absolutely a game-time goal coming up here from the Nashville Predators. Let's hear from the coach on the penalty killing. I thought the first half we were really good, diligent, and then, you know, obviously the, the, the third was uh, we hung in there and did the, what we had to do to win the game. Our penalty kill was, our penalty kill was really good. I mean, you give, you give uh, back-to-back penalties with four or five minutes left, and, you know, you're overusing guys. I, I thought the resolve in that penalty kill, and I, I've liked our penalty kill. I know the stats don't show it, but I think our penalty kill has been good this year. And here's the thing. If you're going to play Mark Friedman and Tyler Myers on a nightly basis, you're going to have to survive some of their penalties. And Friedman takes a bad one, an interference call on uh, Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, a clear penalty impedes his way to the puck. And then Myers takes a softer one. But as you know, big guys often get called. And we've nicknamed him Tyler Myers in the past. So uh, terrific work being done there. They're 17th on the PK. Mm-hmm. They're 17. No, I mean, that's... They're 17. And the other thing that Talkett was talking about in the postgame last night is he got after him after that Philly loss. The effort was better in Tampa, but a loss. As we know, the Florida game got a little bit uh, dicey in the third period, but they managed to get a win. Here's the coach on the response over the last week in three games after he blistered them in Philly. I give the players a lot of credit in that room because you know the, you know you know I we were all pissed off at that game and then um, they took the leadership and the and and some guys took it on their own. Hey, we got to be better. So um, and I stayed away. You know they kind of ran the room a little bit and I thought that was great. That's prof- that's we're talking about a professional game. I thought we, there was a lot of professionalism today. And here's the thing, Blake: all four Canucks forward lines had the lion's share of play. The Lafferty line with a Corsi 4 of 84. Yeah. The Suter line with a near 77 Corsi. Patterson line at 66. The Miller line at 59. And yet I would argue that that was not exactly the best night for Elias Patterson. It was not exactly the best night for JT Miller. Elias Patterson couldn't hit an empty net no. twice. <laughs> no. Like, come on, man. Yeah, some people and have the, the minus 1.5 Canucks puck line. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, there we go. Some people. There we go. And I'm not necessarily sure Suter or Lafferty were the best skaters on their line either. Beauvillier was a lot better last night. Hoaglander scores a goal. DiGiuseppe, as we've talked about. And then Mikheyev and Kuzmenko. And Mikheyev scores his first goal of the season last night. And look, UC Saros wants that one back. If you want to take a glass half empty view, you can say, oh, well, a terrible goal from Nashville. Otherwise, this may be a different result. Fair enough. But they took advantage of their breaks. And here's the thing. You know, McKayev's calling card is speed. And we'll see where the speed is after this knee surgery. But I love the in-zone game from Ilya McKayev last night. The half court. 
And frankly, it looked like he was developing a little chemistry with Andre Kuzmenko. We know that talk in the coaching staff love Pedersen and Kuzmenko as a duo. But I thought yesterday was a nice step forward for the third guy on that line in terms of playing well with the two of them and yet not necessarily in his strongest lane of up and down skating and off the rush. Well, I, I mean, the shot was nothing. He was lucky that he got the goal, but mm-hmm. I loved the setup from um, from Kuzmenko. Right. I mean, there's re- a couple re- other chances between reaches those forward, two guys. tucks it back behind me. That was a fully that was a skill play by Kuzmenko to set them all up. Yep. And and uh, hey, if you're going to use a little bit of a screen, you're going to score yeah. some lucky goals like that. And there's not a lot of nights in the NHL when your centers aren't very good or aren't great that. Your wingers are going to come to the rescue and pick them up and float lines, but I thought that was the case with the Pedersen line and with the Miller line last night, if not the uh, Lafferty line as well. So some good work there from the Canucks, all told. And now the other thing, Blake, they stayed in Nashville and traveled today. That's very sleep doctor prescribed. Our old friend Pat Burns said the, uh, the one time that I would butt heads with A.V., would be, I would say, look, guys, you're better off staying in Raleigh and flying home the next day. You're better off staying in Pittsburgh and flying home the next day. But, of course, you know, teams and the culture at the time was, no, 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 you fly home right after the game. Everybody wants to get home. And so you get home in the middle of the night as opposed to having just a more normal day today with the travel. So we'll see if that does them well Friday against the St. Louis Blues because, as we know, that first home game back after a long road trip can often be a difficult spot where the legs aren't exactly working at optimum level. I, I think they're going to be A-OK, honestly. I can't predict that they're going to win necessarily, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to look terrible. Um, I don't think I don't think the road trip will be used as an excuse. I think they're going to be Well, I mean, I think it's never used as okay. an excuse, but, you know, uh, the fatigue management people will tell you there are times you're more susceptible Right, but they've done to having off nights. Did, did a good, uh, made a good uh, plan to to stay the night there, sleep, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and then fly, and then they get the extra day day tomorrow as well. So, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be okay. And of course, St. Louis, another one of those teams like Nashville that I know we spend most of the summer looking up at the teams that Vancouver has to jump to be a playoff side. St. Louis was the team directly below them in the standings. They're all roughly in the same neighborhood. So these conference games may well prove very important alongside the divisional games, and you got an opportunity here to get a victory over someone who you could easily see yep. as a direct competitor in the second half for the a playoff spot or playoff positioning. Uh, nice win from the Abbotsford Canucks last night, too. Wow. Well, what a uh, last-second thriller. Yeah, buzzer beater on a, from Vasily Putkolson. And it looked like, I don't know, it looked like... Um, peak Nichuskin scoring that goal, or <laughs> or even Yagers. Like yeah. that was, I mean, if you're a Pod Colson truther, you are absolutely buzzing today. Oh, for sure. Oh, and, and you? you've, oh. you've, been, you've been probably buzzing all season long with five goals in five days. But my goodness, um, I, I don't know that we've seen a goal like that from Vasily Pod Colson. We've seen him come out from the boards and make some decent plays. But from the blue line like that to sweep in and really get around two to three guys, that's really, really exciting. And um, I don't think anybody should be saying, oh, bring him up right now. You want to see him do that about 15 more times uh, this season, and then he'll be ready for the call-up. But you can see the confidence is there. And he's an emotional kid. Um, he clearly benefits mm-hmm. from 
that wave of op- uh, of optimism and, and confidence, and he he can see that wave is building right now, and that's really really good news. Tolapila with thirty four saves on thirty five shots last night, and that's another yeah. interesting development. Depth fact, at the goaltending position, first, uh, you know, like, and I know Klimovich has already been a healthy scratch, and now he's got a, an injury there. But you know, when we looked down to Abbotsford or Utica before it. We usually were looking down because of one or two guys, Blake. Like yeah. there weren't a lot of prospects, young guys that you could see being NHLers at some point. And you look down at Abbotsford now, and virtually the entirety of the team has, you know, basically every forward line, every defense pair, just about has somebody that you look at and go, hmm, I wonder if he can make it in the National Hockey League. And just back to Pods too for a second. A couple mm-hmm. of goals we've seen on the power play from the Pedersen zone, those one timers which we haven't really seen from him so far in his NHL career. So mm-hmm. in the event he does come back up down the line, maybe some PP2 time, who well, knows? Yeah. Down the line. A couple other th- notes from around the National Hockey League yesterday. Uh, first, and I'll use uh, Trent Leith, local blogger, at Trent L 14 Travis Dermott did this. Remember that? The guy with the most to lose made the biggest change. Former Canuck Travis Dermott is getting plaudits far and wide for being the brave first soul to put pride tape on his stick, flaunt the NHL rule, and see what came of it. And it turns out that Travis Dermott is an agent of change. It would have been a lot easier for a frontline NHL player to do this, right? Face no consequence, no consequence from his team at least, perhaps from the league. But Travis Dermott had a lot to lose, and it affected change. Here's Keith Oberman, the U.S. political and one-time sports center anchor, so now we move on to the NHL's next self-inflicted wound. Of course, after Pride Tape, the staggered puck drops pitting the entire NHL against Game 7 of the NLCS while scheduling one game tomorrow. They may not have known that this was going to be Game 7 of the NLCS. They should have known it was opening night of the NBA, though. Maybe that was part of the plan that we'll try and counter-program against Much the like Winter Classic was counter-programming. Against college football, yeah. uh, you know, counter-program against the NBA start. We talked to Frank Cervelli, and Frank's today as opposed to Friday. We've shifted the Franks here today, um, Corrado on Friday, uh, about the experience that he got in the United States. But I know you were talking, Blake, opportunity loss, that in Canada it was just another regional night. And we, we talked about it on yesterday's show, but then as I got home and I flipped around and realized I wasn't taking part in any way, shape, or form, I was like, it's not right. Like This is a, a league initiative that they're advertising, trying to hype people up about their sport, and their and seven fan bases don't get to participate. The most robust fan bases. Correct. Like it's really weird. Like I can't think of another. I mean, example of that in North American sport. I mean, I guess like right after the Canucks game, they threw to the Flames game, which is still ongoing. And I guess if you're a hockey fan writ large, that worked for you. But I think a lot of Canucks fans just wanted analysis of the game more so than a quick, you know. But let's it, take you to Calgary. But the day, the night was not any different than any other night, really. In that. Well, that, well, that's and I, I mentioned that to Jeff last night. Like it was busy. Virtually every Saturday in the heart of hockey season, here in British Columbia, you can begin watching hockey at ten in the morning. There's usually like a Senators or someone like that at ten. Often, not every, not but, every, uh, yeah. but often. Yeah. Then get another matinee game. 
Maybe an All-American affair that right. somebody's piped in on 360 or then, something then like that. Then get a 4 o'clock game, usually featuring the Leafs or the Habs, and then get a, a 7 o'clock game. Yeah. Yeah, like a, the Hockey Day in Canada. Remember when TSN right. used to put the... Like, that, was, that was better than yeah. what we saw last night. Yeah. I have an old college football friend who said, you remember bowl day January 1st? We'd get so excited because there were so many games. Because yeah. now every Saturday I can watch more games than I watch on January 1st. Yeah. With distribution. So, look, they, they, I, I think they've got a concept there that might be able to work, but I, I do think you got to go back to the drawing board a little bit if you're the you National involve the entire well, league. flesh it out a little more. Yeah. Make flesh it available it and, for Canadians. And, and you, you'll want to hear Saravelli on this later, too. BC Lines. Idle this week, buy, final se- uh, buy in the final week of the regular season the Canadian Football League. We know they're playing Calgary November 4th, Saturday, everybody. Saturday playoff games in the CFL. It's a 3.30 kick. Rematch of last year's semifinal, of course. Lions won that one. Rematch of the last regular season game for BC where they get throttled by the Stamps. Team awards are out today. Vernon Adams is the team nominee for most outstanding player. He led the league in completions and yards. This is actually his second MOP nominee. Montreal nominated him in 2019. Mathieu Betts, the dual nominee, is the top defensive player and top Canadian. And I think Betts has a chance here to take both awards home. As mentioned, Adams did not finish with a bang. Gets uh, taken out of the game Friday against Calgary. I I don't think he's got a chance anymore. I think one of the Winnipeg guys is going to wind up being the West nominee there. Uh, Jarrell Broxton is the offensive line nominee four times this year. Pro Football Focus graded the BC Lions offensive line as the best that week in the CFL. Broxton graded out as the top guy within the best unit all four times. Our buddy Sean White, his second straight nomination for most outstanding special teams player. 50 of 53 field goals, 44 of 45 converts, played his 200th game in the Canadian Football League. And of course, his husband material. So best of luck to Whitey. And uh, Ryder Varga, special team, a rookie nominee, special team ace, uh, and forced his way into the regular defense at linebacker a little bit there. So best of luck to the Lions nominees. And I uh, I anticipate they're going to do a pretty good crowd here a week from Saturday. Yeah, they, for the West they've Semi. been getting a lot of good interest. Um, so I, I, I hope, uh, well, I hope both BC Place residents enjoy their home dates in the playoffs because wouldn't that be a scene to see both of those teams flood BC Place oh, amazing. with twenty five to 30,000? That would be well, incredible. Yeah, and use the upper bowl. You know, as we've long talked about, we went through a half-billion-dollar renovation of this stadium on the public dime post-2010 Olympics. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to have a venue of that size, and of course it works for the cold plays and the guns and roses of the world, but there's not a ton of musical acts that can that are booking stadiums of that size, although this summer seemed to be with Ed Sheeran and others. <laughs> Boy, got a lot of concert run out of BC Place this summer and into the fall, but you know, you hope the primary tenants from time to time are able to use that upper deck. Of course, it'll be used next year for the Great Cup, as it always is, and uh, suspect it will be used for Miss Sinclair's yes farewell game. More on that later in the program as well. So you know, let, let let's see crowds that the upper deck is required. And I know it's the playoffs. You're supposed to jack up the ticket prices in the playoffs in a lot of sports. Don't do it for either of these teams. Make it super cheap to get Make into the Upper Bowl. Yeah. Because if you win, that will be an experience that people will come back for more. But that's right. 
Like, I, I mean, make last it, year's West final was a or semi was a fantastic experience, partly because we hadn't had a home game in six years, whatever the five years, whatever the case was, home playoff game for the Lions, but also because the home team was terrific. One, and we felt a lot of momentum there, moving them on to Winnipeg where they came awfully close. And I would have to think that brought some people back in the early going of this season. I would love to know like the parameters about like how cheap you can make those tickets. Mm-hmm. Like get them in well, and sell it. Like is, is there a better advertisement than getting your, your fans in for an elimination game yeah. in the playoffs? Now, it is a little different at BC Place because a rented venue, a public stadium, they don't control the concessions, so it's not... I often hear, oh, get them in cheap and then get all the concession revenue. Yeah. Well, that's not the arrangement the Whitecaps and the Lions work on. Which is really BC too bad Place. because that's what I yeah. would encourage otherwise. They don't get parking like a lot of other teams and stadiums. will get a lot yeah. of parking revenue as well. But you still argue it as, in, as advertisement. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get them in for 20 bucks a head... Mm-hmm. And you know, like that will be money well spent on advertising right. of your uh, of your brand. I, I I mean for the Whitecaps because they have to play a game before this game. Imagine if they can pull off a road upset. Oh, and then and then the home game oh. is an elimination game to move on. That would be not to stay alive, but to move on. That would be amazing. Whitecaps Saturday six o'clock at LAFC. In fact. Uh, LAFC has the reigning MLS player of the month. This is a good team. Defending champs. Caps are up against it. They have played LAFC well this year, including getting a win down there. And frankly, a draw that should have been a win on Saturday with two missed penalties. I saw hard journalists ask Canadian international Sam Atacube if Tom Foolery will yes. carry into the playoffs. Explain. Well, you know, the second penalty is awarded to the Whitecaps and Max Crepo, we talked to Max after the match, and he was fully aware what he was doing. Like he was, he was, he was okay getting a yellow. He was okay pushing the envelope. Yeah. He was trying to get into the head of Ryan Gold again, and it may have worked as Gold lets that kick get away on him and, and hits the crossbar instead. Um, I, it's funny the team was a little divided on. It. I think Sam made some reference that yeah, it could could be there, but we can't you know take part. Um, Ryan Gold was like, no, it's going to go away. That was the referee lost control of the match, thought Ryan Gold. And because Ryan Gold pointed out that Atakube got a a yellow a minute into his insertion into the game, and it was like nothing. It was just a random foul, and he got a yellow. Like, Fotos Pazakos had the, you know, the, the bookings going crazy. This was a referee who was putting his yeah, foot down. And it was ridiculous. So, I, in that sense, I agree with Ryan Gold. I doubt. It, it looks quite like it did the other day, but at the same time, it's the playoffs, and you know, in, in all sports, you put it all on the line in the playoffs and try to win however you can. So. Atacube said, "Yeah, probably it's part of the game. I think the ref could have done a better job of handling the tomfoolery." And, and I actually agree. <laughs> I think Max should have got a yellow thirty-five seconds before he got the yellow. I think that was allowed to go on far too long. The good news for the Caps. We know Go full, ahead. full participation from Andres Kubis yesterday. Excellent. He will be playing on the weekend. What capacity we'll see, but he'll be playing. You answer me this, because we knew from our first interaction with Max Cripo. Do you remember this? We were watching training in Hawaii at their at their camp. Mm-hmm. There was a bench on the sidelines. Max wanted to move the bench. He ran over and he quickly recruited us to help move the bench. Hey guys, grab the ends there. Blah blah. So he burns hot. Max, he's a competitor. Oh, yeah. Do you think he burns hotter against the Whitecaps 
do you think there's something about playing his ex team here that gets him in an even fe- more fevered pitch? I think to some degree. I, I, I think that he, and I think he didn't love the reception the fans gave him, particularly after the first penalty stop. The the reception was, and and the, the mic was hot by the way in the post game. Oh. So like we're off the air at this point. We're waiting for the post game, <laughs> and the mic turns on because he's putting his headset on, and I can hear what the fans are saying to him. And there was a lot of expletives back there. Ooh. Um, you know, he was he was getting harassed something fierce by mm-hmm. by Whitecaps fans. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be an interesting series. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. It's fantastic having MLS uh, playoffs back in BC, much like the CFL playoffs. Now, second straight year for that. And as we'll talk to Rob Williams tomorrow, Rob the hockey guy. This is the best both those teams have been in the MLS era of the Whitecaps. So. We're going back a decade and a half here, yeah, and we have never before had the Lions and Whitecaps this competitive concurrently. So it's a fantastic time. And to the Canucks are trending up, too. Sports fan, yeah. I was just going to say, Blake, I cannot remember the last time we had this much positivity across the board, including the Abbey Canucks, to discuss from our local teams. Vancouver Canadians winning the Northwest West League. Yeah, but that's all they do is win championships. Oh. They're a rightful place atop the Northwest League. Rob Fay once said. Let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Greta Barnes. They're on Cordova, and it's a fantastic place to take in the game, take in the playoffs, or to chill in the offseason. Frank Saravelli is going to join us. Usually, as mentioned on Fridays, uh, he's going to the Heritage Classic in Edmonton, wasn't going to be available Friday. So he's going to join us here today. Uh, we get into topics like the Frozen Frenzy. Like the Heritage Classic coming up, like the Winnipeg Jets already feeling a need to put out fires with speculation about relocation if the attendance doesn't improve. Uh, we get into the undefeated teams in the National Hockey League. That's one of the big storylines here in the first month. You've got powerhouses this year, and they're teams that have very competitive DNA in seasons past. We'll do some hashtags. The Best and worst of Twitter. Uh, get to some baseball talk later with the World Series set. And Chris Faber going to join us from Canucks Conversation, Canucks Army, as he does on Wednesdays. His prospect of the week. We'll talk about Phil DiGiuseppe, Niels Hoaglander, and a stunner of a game last night for the Abbotsford Canucks. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and Yellow Dog has been brewing up a little surprise. Angry Otter Lager. It's a crisp, clean, and crushable lager enjoyed by dogs and otters alike. You can find this tasty brew at all Angry Otter locations. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog Neighborhood or Workshop Spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. Nils Hoaglander scored a goal Tuesday night in his return to the Vancouver Canucks lineup. That's a good thing for Hoaglander. It's a great thing for the Canucks because Vancouver is a better team 
with Hoaglander in the lineup. The bottom six needs him. Canucks 4-2 and two record out the gate has been built on their star skaters with some helping hands sprinkled through the lineup. Stand up Phil DiGiuseppe, stand up Casey DeSmith. But there continues to be signs that the bottom six isn't going to be as productive as this long NHL season will require. Terrific game for all four forward lines last night in a 3-2 victory over Nashville. But Anthony Beauvillier, Pius Suter, still without a point. Connor Garland continues to look lost. And Dakota Joshua hasn't scored since opening night, when, of course, everybody scored in an 8-1 win over Edmonton. Hoaglander already up to two goals, four points, while playing five of the six games to date. He's looking like the best chance of producing goals outside of the current top six. The key for Hoaglander will be his defensive play. If the coaching staff can trust him on that side of the puck, he'll finally arrive as an NHL regular and the Canucks will be better for it. And nobody should worry about him being on the fourth line or developing on the fourth line. If his play merits, there's plenty of upward mobility in this lineup. That's welcome, Matt, for today. We invite your feedback, feedback channels, as follows on email, live at secaresonprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox on Twitter, at Matt Sakaris at Sakarison Price. And then welcome, Matt, a presentation of Great Clips. Check in online today to get a haircut on your schedule. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Harris Price from All Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Great things happening at Applewood Kia in Surrey and in Langley. You can finance the 2024 Sportage. Well, that brand has been around for a long time. I remember the Sportage first came out. 2024, still going strong. Get it from 5.99% plus Nero EVs and EV6s are in stock. Go check it out. Applewood Kia in Surrey and Langley. Bodog poll question is Phil DiGiuseppe giving you Alex Burroughs vibes? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day for me college football tomorrow, Syracuse at Virginia Tech. I just like that Syracuse quarterback, so I'm going orange in an upset at plus 125 on your Bodog line of the day. Joining us now from Canucks Conversation, Canucks Army, Wednesday regular, the one and only Christopher Faber. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, excellent night last night. I got to watch mm-hmm. Hunter Stevich, got to watch Abbotsford, got to watch Vancouver, and uh, wins all across the board. It's good yeah, so <laughs> let's just recap, though. You just got married, and here you are sitting down in front of the television on a Tuesday in October for how long while the missus is, uh, is just wondering if she gets her husband back anytime soon? How's that going over? Yeah, whatever clip that comes out of this interview that you guys post will not be as good as me telling my wife that I'm going to Abbotsford tonight. Uh, <laughs> that clip would have been uh, that would have got some views. I'll tell you that. Um, mm. But yeah, it's she loves it. She's, uh, I mean, she's she's on board. I guess maybe she, she must be. A, is she a hockey fan? Mm-hmm. Um, no, she she's from the Maritime, so she grew up with like some QMJHL hockey and and some OHL hockey that they watched out there. But she's. She's a fan of like the personalities on the Canucks. Okay. I think yeah. she's, uh, but sh- the thing is, she knows so much about prospects because of 
whatever I'm watching or whatever I'm telling her, like she, you know, she might be a guest for you guys in the future. Yeah, All right. Perfect. If you're ever sick, we want her. Yes. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, we'll start with our Modog poll question today. Of course, his first goal is a Vancouver Canuck, but that hasn't told nearly the story of Phil DiGiuseppe and what he has meant to this hockey club through six games. We're asking, is DiGiuseppe giving you Alex Burroughs vibes, Chris? <laughs> I mean, he's got a lot of skill, right? I think that's something that people forget about uh, Phil DiGiuseppe. He scored the goal of the year in the AHL a couple years ago. He scored a between-the-legs beautiful goal uh, to win AHL goal of the year. He, he was a guy that for a lot of people, when he was signed, they looked at him as that quad A type of player, but he's been able to make the adjustments to his game that a guy like Reed Boucher was never able to make. And I think you can see that in the way that he works and the way that he fits into a top six line. There are some similar vibes for sure about a player knowing their role in a top six line. It's not like you're going to be the guy scoring 40 goals, but you can be the guy playing with the player who scores 40 goals. And I think from that way, you're getting some vibes from Alex Burrows. I don't know if it's going to be ultimately at the same level, but the vibes, they're on the same kind of wavelength, at least anyways. It's unbelievable when you look at Phil DiGiuseppe's resume, like he hasn't come close to a point per game since the OJHL, like back in 2010, 2011, when he had 63 points in 49 games. But even in college, third year of college, guys, He's nowhere close to a point per game. And generally when you see stories like this, Faber, as you well know, it's a guy that has been a sniper in his, in his past. He's had a lot of offense and was forced into a role player, you know, as he became a professional. That's not even really the case from, from Phil DiGiuseppe. He's always been a half point per game guy throughout his entire career. Yeah, I think the thing that he did well at the NHL with this stint with the Rangers was kill penalties. That was the thing that he did extremely well with the Rangers and got him into the lineup. And now he's doing something to get into the lineup that the coach really likes. And to me, that's, you know, I said this on Rinkwide with Jeff on the weekend. It feels like that line is kind of like a volleyball return, like it's bump, set, spike. And it feels like Phil DiGiuseppe needs to be the bump. Whoever can be the set and the other guy can be the spike between JT Miller and Brock Besser. But every single shift. Phil DiGiuseppe needs to be the bump. He needs to be the guy who's in the corners, getting the puck and working harder than everyone on the ice. I, I think that that's something that's interesting is because he's got this confidence from the coach. And you guys know this. How often do we hear from Rick talking about how much he really loves Phil DiGiuseppe? And it's not like, you know, PDG isn't uh, the drop the gloves type of player that Rick Talkett was back in the day. But I think he sees something in the way that this guy works. But to me, he also has a little bit of that skill to back it up. And Maybe that comes from developing in the AHL and playing in a top six role every single time that he was in the AHL. Like, this is what we're talking about when you're talking about developing in the AHL and developing in a league that has a little bit lesser quality of player. He was able to see how he could fit into that role. He could see what he did that worked in the AHL level in a top line role that worked. And it doesn't happen to every player, right? Not every top line AHL is going to get that shot. But now that he's gotten the shot in the NHL, he's doing everything to keep that job right now. Nils Hoaglander, he gets uh, a goal last night. He's up to four points, Chris. And, of course, upon a return to the lineup after a healthy scratch. Do you see more healthy scratches coming? And are they a better team when it's Hoaglander somewhere in the bottom six as opposed to the other options? I think so. I think that not only does Nils Hoaglander provide a lot on the fourth line from the way that his game has adjusted over the past couple of years, but... To me, if if there's a night where Brock Besser isn't playing well or a night where Andre Kuzmenko is going to be getting three shifts in the third period, Niels Huglander can give you a, a little bit of a spark into that top six. I really think that that's the difference between him and Jack Studnicka. You feel a lot better about Niels Huglander playing on Elias Pettersson's wing than you do with somebody else like that. So I think though he's a bottom six player, 
He still needs to adjust to that role a little bit. And I think he's done a good job this season compared to what we've seen in the past. And some of that, again, to, to heart back on it, comes from the things that he developed in the AHL, right? Making a little bit better decision-making uh, around his own blue line and these type of things. He's still not perfect, for sure, but at least he's building enough and he built enough last year to go into this year and think, okay, he can play a bottom six role. It doesn't have to be top six or bust for him. And the thing that I still like about that is though he's going to be in the bottom six, man, if, if you need a spark, you can try it. Like there was a couple shifts where they were kind of between line changes last night and we're watching Niels Hugliner play with Elias Pettersson. And I know Pettersson's like at the end of his shift or whatever it may be, but then here comes this firecracker of Niels Hugliner flying into the boards and extending offense's own possessions, helping the team get a line change in. Like, I just think that the energy this kid has, if Rick Tockett and the rest of this coaching staff is able to kind of mold him into what they want from a bottom six player, and then he has the skill in the back pocket that he's had throughout his whole NHL and, and really hockey career from what we've seen in the SHL and the ridiculous goals he used to score there. If you back pocket that skill, but kind of front facing, give you a bottom six player who works as hard as Niels Huglander does. I don't think this guy should be coming out of the lineup at all. I think he's a fit in an NHL lineup, and I think a lot of teams would take what he's bringing on a nightly basis to a bottom six. I mean, it feels like they're just trying to raise the floor on him, right? Because as opposed to a guy like Stednika, who they might trust a little bit more, um, there's just the potential for more offensively, for 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 more positive ground when Niels Hoaglander's in there. It's just a more skilled lineup. Back to the original question, are they a better team? They're just more skilled. Now, can he make more mistakes than Sadika? Certainly in the past, that's been the case. But if they can limit that, they are they are just a better team when he's there versus a guy like Sadika, right? Yeah, simply. And I think that's the interesting thing. It's like Studnika can give you a little bit on the penalty kill. Niels Hugglander doesn't do that. He's yeah. not really getting much time on the second power play. And I think we've seen a little bit of time on the second power play unit. But it, to me, it's more about the 5-1-5 play right now for him. And I think he's been a guy who is just doing more. Like he's doing more in the offensive zone. He does these things where he's able to, you know, he's, he's got a real strong stick. He's got that lower body that's also extremely, uh, you know, he's, he's a strong guy from the He's the, a buzzsaw. Yeah. Down. And he's, he's difficult to deal with, right? Like, I, I think with Studnika, you, you know what he is. And, and there's times where he has good games. But if you can get to the level of consistency a little bit higher with Niels Huglander, I think you've just got a better player there in the end. And he's a guy that I really like to watch grow under Rick Tockett. Because, man, I, if you can get this guy to be giving you that energy on a nightly basis, and then he understands as the player okay, my energy level has to be like this every game. If he can stay there, he's going to be fine. Like the decision-making and the, and the troubles that he's had at the NHL level, you can make mistakes. Every player does. Players make mistakes in every single game. But if your energy level is that high and you're able to make up for it, a lot of the time you'll be able to stick in the lineup just because of that energy. What did you make of the game last night? I thought it was pretty good. That second period was, you know, probably the best period, I think, of the season for them. And, you know, that's kind of throwing the 8-1 the game aside. That was a, a shellacking. And I don't think that we even saw that many kind of solid play throughout the whole 20 minutes of those periods. But I think that second period where they ended up uh, out shooting them 15-5, to I think it was, uh, that was the way this team needs to play. They were able to move the puck out of their own zone. They were able to limit Nashville being able to exit the zone. And it was a lot of the things that we heard them talking about, about, not just allowing teams to gain your zone, put some pressure on them in the neutral zone and force them to make good passes, but not just like one good pass, like two good passes to gain possession in an offensive zone. They limited that. They forced Nashville to try and be a little bit more of a dump and chase team. And their defense did a good job of breaking out the puck pretty quickly. And a lot of that was on Quinn Hughes and Philip Aronic. I thought they were both excellent in that game last night. And that pairing just continues to look like, 
you know, at the start of the season, I, I know people were, were ripping my co-host Quadrelli when, when he was saying that, like, this could be one of the top pairings in the NHL. Like, the stats don't lie, man. They, they've been one of the best pairings in the NHL up to this point in the season. And last night, I thought, was just a masterclass of how to break the puck out and how to create offense in the offensive zone with movement, with the ability to trust that you can get some offense from your defenseman. I, all in all, it felt like a great game, and Thatcher Demko kind of locked it down in the third period, and not like he was completely under pressure for that final 20 minutes, but he was good enough to to take a one-goal lead into that third period and feel confident enough to kind of blend it into a win at the end of the game. And that's a great point, Chris, because here we are discussing a 3-2 win. A famous coach once said it's a 3-2 league, right, Blake? He's no longer coaching in the NHL, no, but Daryl Sutter, it's a 3-2 league. Talked about this with Jeff last night. This morning, looked it up. They had one 3-2 regulation win all of last year, and it came in the final week of the season against Anaheim. Now, they had three overtime and two shootout 3-2 wins. but It was a 5-1 league last year. Uh, well, it was a 5-1 team last year. Um, sadly, there weren't many 5-1 victories to offset all the 5-1 loss. But um, we're talking about a Canucks win forged on defensive play and we're not talking about a spectacular goaltending performance. And for me, that's about as much progress as you can hand Rick Tockett style hockey. Well, I, but as far as the pairing is concerned, too, um, I mean, for a lot of it, it wasn't so much how great defensively they were playing in terms of Ronick and, and Hughes guys. Like there was, like they could have played Sweet Georgia Brown at times. The way that those two were were playing with the puck, and it was sort of uh, Sedin like in that. Um, you know, if if we've got the puck, you don't. And, and Hughes and, and Ronick were just so fun to watch on a few shifts there, where they were just—it was behind the back. It was—it it was unbelievable. It was great to watch. Yeah, it's the interesting thing I like about that pairing is because both players now, and I think this more than any other season we've seen from Quinn Hughes is he trusts his shot. And Philip Ronick, I think we're very obvious we've seen in these games, he definitely trusts his shot as well. So when you come in and, and Hughes is on the left side and Ronick's on the right. And Hughes has the puck on that left side. Okay, he can go down because he trusts his speed. He can beat forwards into the corner and make a play from there. Or the two have been swapping a lot, right, to get the one-timer opportunity. Okay. Like, when you have the puck on Quinn Hughes' stick and now you give him three options with the puck, like, in the offensive zone, I'm going to bet that, like, 90% of the time he's going to make a correct decision there. And I think that's what's happening for them in the offensive zone is long offensive possessions with those two on the ice. And hey, that makes defense pretty easy when you have the puck, you know, 180 feet away from your own net. Like, that's what I think is making that pairing look so good. Yes, the defense has been solid. They're good at breaking the puck out. But but I think to your point, Blake, I think you're bang on with it. Like, a lot of that pairing's good looks through the start of the season are coming from how well they're playing in the offensive zone. It's, it just helps everything when you have the puck away from your own net. The uh, discussion on Nils Hoaglander um, never strays that far away from the discussion of Vasily Podkolzin because uh, the two have been in a similar roster position at the very least in terms of you know trying to get into the top 12 or 13 on the Vancouver Canucks at any given moment. Hoaglander's got the upper hand right now, playing well at the NHL level. But Vasily is trying to stake his claim, isn't he? I mean, a hell of a goal last night, and he's a goal per game through five might we see the Russian? I don't think anybody needs to jump up and down and, and demand him now, but he's at least off to a great start where we might be able to demand him or, you know, not be scared to see him if he does make an appearance in December or January. Yeah. It might take, you know, throwing him a bone a little bit for a couple of games here and there, but I really think this season's got to be focused on development with him. He's still on his entry level contract and yeah, the five goals have been excellent. I mean, he scored two absolute 
bombs of one-timers over the weekend uh, from the right half wall looking like Elias Pettersson in the AHL. And then what we saw last night, Blake, you bring up the goal yesterday, overtime with one second left in overtime to win the game for the Abbotsford Canucks. And it's exactly what you want from Vasily Podkols. And it's exactly what I saw him doing in the playoffs in the KHL his final year when he was ripping up that league and being the best player in the KHL playoffs. It's going to the net strong. And it's the things that when he was drafted, we knew that he was a powerful power forward type-ish player, but not necessarily just like a big hulking guy. He was more of the new age power forward. So when you see a goal like last night's where puts the shoulder down, is able to go around a defenseman and then go straight to the net and still get an accurate shot off to score a goal, like that's all you could ask for for him. And I think that's what we love to see in the AHL is that along with him shooting the puck a ton with the confidence. I know last time I I checked before yesterday's game, uh, but he was fifth in the AHL for shots on net. That's through the whole league. And that's just what you love to see from a guy who down there, and I think I said this on the show, to me, I think the coaching staff, the players around in management, they, they look at Vasily Pod Coles in a little bit kind of head and shoulders above everyone, right? And that AHL team, let's let's be he's a 10th overall pick. He's still very young. They know he's going to be an NHLer. He's got to just be the head and shoulders player above the rest of these guys in this league. And man, five games in, he's got five goals. He's been excellent. And it's not just the goals. It's it's the confidence on the forecheck. It's, it's a different player to watch him in the HL because he knows he's going to get the puck when he goes into a corner he's getting the puck like he he just has that thought process in his mind when he's at the HL level it, it is it's similar to what I saw in Russia again to bring this up but like when he was in the minors in Russia the VHL it was the same thing he's getting the top line minutes he's playing with so much confidence the, the question is how do you transfer that because it didn't transfer over from the VHL to the KHL a lot when he was there the question now is okay well this should be on the Canucks development staff to transfer that confidence that we're seeing from in the HL. Like you're a very good player, Vasily. Like you can do this at the NHL level every night, yeah. every, every night in the NHL. And then absolutely. And uh, great to hear. They're still uh, brimming with confidence about him being an NHL player. Cause I know a lot of fans uh, were getting worried after watching the preseason here with the big Canucks beyond pod Coles. And um, boy, Abby's played some high event hockey here, a thrilling victory last night, Chris Tolapilo again. Uh, give me your assessment of the baby Canucks. Yeah, I'll start with Tolapilo because he's been unreal to start this season. Uh, I know that a lot of people were very excited about Archer Silas and the world championships that he had, but uh, after giving up seven goals on Saturday night, they decided to go with uh, Nikita Tolapilo last night uh, in Abbotsford, and he won them that game. Uh, the Abbotsford Canucks weren't playing great yesterday on Tuesday night, but uh, the goaltender was able to you know, get them a win, get them to overtime, and then let Vasily Podkolzin take it from there who scored the overtime winner. Tolopilo is going to excite a lot of people. Like, and just hearing from people that are, you know, that were at the rink last night, I'm seeing them in my replies. I'm getting messages, and they're like, "Wow, this this kid moves extremely well. He's got a lot of confidence, and he's, you know, kind of helps that he's six foot six and an absolute monster in the pipes." Like, I, I think that he's one to watch for sure. But the Abbotsford team's been great. I really think that top pairing of uh, of Christian Willan and Jet Wu is going to be players that are playing at the NHL at some point this season. Uh, whatever they start to shuffle the Canucks pairings at the NHL level, I really think Willannon's got to get back up here and get a shot. I know we had him on the show uh, earlier this week, and he wasn't exactly ecstatic about his play in the preseason. He thinks he can bring more. And that pairing right now, the way that, that Christian Willannon talked about it, was they want to be an NHL pairing playing in the AHL. That's what they want to do. And, and you know, if you didn't see the clip, it's a great clip that we put out there of, of Willannon talking about, like, yeah, they, they all want the AHL team to be great and they want to continue to, you know, win and, and push for a Calder Cup. But when he was actually honest about it, he's like, they all want to be in the NHL, right? Like they want to prove that they can be in the NHL, but they're rooting for each other. It's like a culture that's being built 
out there in Abbotsford. It's why I like I love covering this Abbotsford team. It's just it's they're doing everything right. It feels like like they have a great coach there in Jeremy Carlton. They have one of the youngest rosters in the AHL. They're going with defense when you were 22, 23 years old. Yeah, they're doing everything right. It's a fun mm-hmm. team for me as a reporter to cover because I, I don't really look at what they're doing and think, I don't know about this. Like, you know, you could say is Hatsu Ratu on the fourth line. Like, that's the one thing you could probably question, right? Like, that's the only thing with this roster that you're like, I don't know about that. Everything else has been perfect for But Abbotsford. even their journeyman, like Willannon, like, I, I do think he's better than Quad A. Like, he, he's got a lot of hallmarks of a Quad A player. But it does feel like he's just he's better than that. Even he's he's too good for the AHL. So I agree. I, I wouldn't mind, you know, if if they have the revolving door of six, seventh defenseman here, I wouldn't mind seeing him again uh, as one of those guys. See if he can do it. Yeah, one thing that I like, I'll bring this up with the team they played last night with the Colorado Eagles, the Colorado Avalanche minor league team. Who's the guy eating up all the minutes for them? It's Brad Hunt. Like, right. You know what Brad Hunt is, and Mr. Yeah. is much younger than him as well. So that kind of player that you mentioned there, like it's not a 34-year-old defenseman. It's it's a 27, 28-year-old guy, and that's like your quad A-ish type player with Christian Wolanin, who I, I do think is going to play NHL games at some point this season. Yeah, I think you're right. Lastly, Chris, your Canucks prospect of the week. Where are we going, buddy? Well, Hunter Brustevich did have eight points this past week in the four <laughs> games that he played, but... We're not going to go with Hunter. <laughs> Hunter is great. He can, he's got a 10-game point streak. He's not my guy. He's not my guy this week. Uh, we're going overseas. We're going with Jonathan Lekkermacki, who scored two goals in his two SHL games this past week. I know he added an assist as well. The first goal he scored has about a just like about a, the width of a puck type hole, and he puts his right through it. Like it was, it was an excellent goal to see him score that. Then he ends up scoring another big goal. Something I've noticed here with Lekkermacki as well is a lot of game-winning goals, a lot of game-tying goals. He's stepping up in the clutch, and I posted a, about a minute and a half that I kind of clipped from one of his games the other day. He's starting to hit. He's starting to forecheck. He's starting to do all these other things because the confidence seems to be building from the goals. Obviously, he's leading the SHL in goals. He's got the tie for the lead right now. But now it's like, okay, I can score at this level. Now I can forecheck. Now I can hit. These other parts that we didn't see at all last season in the offense can just be frank with you. You didn't see him throwing hits. You didn't see him forechecking well. This year... Like I, it's like watching a different player. Like I, I, I know that there was a lot of excuses last year. They are starting to sound like legitimate excuses now with mono and a concussion uh, and a foot injury that kept him out five weeks. Like they are starting to look like excuses at this point instead of just talking points about a guy who didn't have a great year last year. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan LeCaramacchi, my prospect of the week with a goal with two goals and one assist in the SHL. Fantastic stuff. Thanks for this, Chris. We will catch up next Wednesday. Absolutely. Have a good one, guys. You too. Harrison Bryce from All Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags best and worst of Twitter.com brought to you by Jason Hominick, Jason Dobb Mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, Jason has the solution. You keep your great rate, you access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now's the time to reach out. And of course, an announcement from the Bank of Canada today holding. Mm-hmm. interest rates uh jason can navigate you through these waters find him at jason dot mortgage uh at rap sheety and Rappaport reunion free agent frank clark is in fact signing with the seahawks after he passes his physical today per me and tom pelicero he'll sign to the 53 man roster and give a boost to their pass rush he's uh not exactly uh young anymore um 
at the age of 30, but he's certainly been a good uh, linebacker coming from the Broncos uh, after four years with KC and four years beginning his career at the Seattle Seahawks. So a defense that's pretty darn good might just get a little bit better here for the Seahawks. Yeah, and they had the injury there to uh, Nuosu on the edge, so um, we'll see uh, if he can recapture some glory there. I got to tell you, the last couple of times I've watched him, I've gone, I think he might be done, but we shall see. The end comes early in football. It's mm-hmm. a cruel beast. Five sacks last year, um, 25 tackles. Mm-hmm. At Capitals PR, Alex Ovechkin has scored 10% of the power play goals in franchise history. <laughs> Here's the thing. That's not the best all time. It's the third highest percentage in NHL history among players with at least 40 power play goals with one franchise. Do we care to guess, Grady Sass and Blake Price, which two players has a higher percentage of franchises all time? Dave Andrichuk? Yeah, that was on my list, Dave Andrichuk. Yari Curry? Nope. Think newer franchises. Newer, because right. frankly, like that, yeah. Alvechkin has done it with a franchise that's been around a lot. Uh, limits the sample size exactly. Marion exactly. Gabrick? Uh, no, good guess. One uh, guy still active, actually. Um, newer franchise, Shane. No, is Rick newer. Nash up there uh, again? Great yeah, guess, but guess. no, no, not him either. No, I'm twisting myself in a knot, Susan. Tamu Solani with Anaheim. Hmm. 12.2%. And then Steven Stamkos and ah. Stamkos. Tampa Bay, 11.56%. High volume scorers and shooters. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the, the tie that binds here, right? Yeah, yeah. High, high volume shooters. Yeah. Speaking of high volume, did you see how many shots Ovechkin had the other night? What, what was it? Twelve he or finished 13? with fourteen. Oh my in, gosh! But he was in the third night, period. He was it? in the third period, wasn't it? I, I, I saw some uh, shots since the end of the second, and he had thirteen. <laughs> Crazy. Well, I I think desperation was starting to set in a little bit with Ovi. It wasn't the start to the year that he no. wanted, and of course. He can't afford too many droughts in pursuit of Wayne Gretzky in the all-time records. So. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's that's floating around mm-hmm. in his head. And for him to go that long, it was a tap-in goal last night. And ultimately, he's got three points in five games. It's it's recoverable. If this is the if this is a drought for him, that's fine. But it's just got to end now if he wants to get on this horse. What are the Caps playing for other than getting him to beat the Gretzky record right now? Like they are just. Classic well, caught in between. We don't want to bottom out, but we're not good enough to lock down. They're kind of like spot. the Canucks and the Willie Desjardins. Yeah. We don't want to rebuild while we have this franchise icon. And I don't, I don't blame him really, right? Because the impact that he's given in that city mm-hmm. for how long now? Rangers, Devils, Hurricanes have got the top three spots locked up, you'd think, in the in that metropolitan division. And you're going to be fighting tooth and nail with teams like the Penguins and Islanders for wild card spots, not to mention the Atlantic team. So, yeah, not a lot. Can I ask this question? Mm. Does um, does anybody here envision Alex Ovechkin playing for a different team at some point? I was thinking that He's last got night. two more yeah. years on his contract after this one at 9.5, which when the cap goes up, if he's still an elite goal scorer, would... He might be the one of the few, uh, and there's been other young players, but might be one of the older players that I could see... He, like it's up, it's up to him. 
If he says oh, he wants sure. to leave, then he can leave. Um, Had he not got the cup, I would think there would be a stronger chance there. But, you know, what what does the future look with Kuznetsov, Carlson, Backstrom? Like, these guys are on the downslopes of their career. See, the thing, when you're playing on the Eastern Seaboard, moving elsewhere on the Eastern Seaboard is probably not that big a deal, lifestyle-wise no. and stuff. You know, for him to go say, I want to be a New York Ranger, like, yeah. how does that change the price of bread in his world? Not a lot. You know, it's different than if you're... Alfredson to the Red Wings, yeah. In Denver or something like that. You know, it's a big life change. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, at Tyler Green FC, based on early indications, the Canada game here on December the 5th is going to be very, very full. I suspect a 40,000-plus crowd likely will be 50,000-plus. This is the send-off game, or one of... For Christine Sinclair, can you imagine over 50,000 so. fans watching women's soccer there at BC Place? That would be, well, be a uh, lot of fun. I would hope so. Well-deserved. Well if we're going to turn out for any athlete from this province and from this country over the last quarter century, it should be Christine Sinclair. She sort of stands alongside Steve Nash as sort of an unlikely uh, results mm-hmm. like for Steve Nash to go back to back MVPs from our little corner of the world for him to do that in the NBA, mm-hmm. so, you know, same thing with her. Like this is soccer, this is the global sport, mm. and to have a woman from this end, this corner of the world, to rise to the top, it's pretty crazy. At Rod Peterson, hearing Henry Burris is the leading candidate to become head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Smiling Hank, of course, one time a quarterback with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You may remember for 10 days he joined the BC Lions. He played for 14 CFL teams. Consultants before moving (laughs) on to the NFL. He played for Calgary, Saskatchewan. Calgary and Saskatchewan again. Hamilton and Ottawa. So didn't quite get the Kevin Glenn circuit. No, not quite Kevin Glenn or Kerry Joseph. I saw Craig Smith, the former personnel guy in in Regina, throw his support behind Mike Benavides as a candidate. And I do think Mike deserves a second shot to be a head coach. They just went special teams coach with Craig Dickinson. Now, Mike, of course, more known for the defensive side of the football. But, you know, Henry Burris is still a beloved figure in the province of Saskatchewan. So I could see it happen. He was coaching with the Rams in training camp. But I don't believe he's coaching anywhere now. And, uh, of course, as you know, Blake, you... uh, Run into Henry Burris. He will lift up your day. He is one of those personalities. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I, although I wonder, you know, as a head coach, yeah, you don't get to smile quite no, as often. No, it's true. As Smiling you Hank do. might be frowning. Hank, yeah, some days. Um, at Nate Silver, five thirty-eight. This is the least compelling World Series matchup in a long time, maybe ever. Major League Baseball made a lot of great and overdue changes this season, but it's time to contract the playoffs and give the regular season more meaning now uh, from from a math guy i'm surprised he says contract the playoffs six out of 15 teams in each league is not a lot it's still way less than half i mean two wild cards are in the world series yeah like have proven themselves worthy have won three playoff series and and i guess you know you can make i i'm i'm all for contracting playoffs when we're getting rid of teams that don't have the goods to get to the mountaintop. But everyone in the baseball playoffs does. Like As we've talked about, this is the sport where you can have a fantastic lineup, but if your three, four, and five hitters go cold, yeah. 
Forget about it. But also, if Clayton Kershaw has a bad start, a hundred win team doesn't get very far in the, the postseason. The universe next to this one has the Rangers winning their division too. Like they, it's not like they were a, a, an also ran team. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they they were a good team. Red hot streaks there in the second half of the season. Um, and again, I just I've got no problem with six of fifteen teams making the playoffs. Nine teams do not get a taste of mm-hmm. champagne. Whatsoever. That seems more than fair. That's completely fair. And lastly, for me, this is at FOS, front office sports. The NBA will likely expand to 32 teams once its next set of media rights deals are complete. The two cities in focus, Las Vegas and Seattle, and the media rights deal expire after the 24-25 season. So two more years here on the media rights deal. I would suspect, Blake, you're going to hear expansion talk from the NBA at some point next year. Well, I think they've got to announce it. That, that's this what year. I mean. I think they got to oh, announce it by like, the end of the current well, year. No, sorry, not calendar. End of the current season. Yes. Well, yes. end of the current season, calendar year 24. Yes. Right. Because you got to get every ducks in a row. Of course. Now, both cities have arenas ready. That's it. Um, but I think you, you still got to build it up. And, of course, the question then becomes. What is the effect on the Kraken and the Golden Knights as a sport that I think you can say both cities prefer to hockey comes in with a parallel season? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Because here's the thing. If the Golden Knights competitive cycle really dips when the expansion franchise and the NBA comes to town, I'm not sure that's a great mix. Now we'll see what parameters are on expansion here for the NBA in terms of how they populate the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NBA's got that drastically wrong. I, I, in I the sure past. hope they have learned the Vancouver lesson yeah. on that. Uh, I think they will be a little more competitive, but really in the first year, maybe two. I'm not sure it's going to matter all that. No, much. maybe not. And particularly since, of course, in the NBA, the visiting teams often are as big a draw because you're talking about some of the biggest superstars in global sport. And of course, in the case of Vegas, they have known nothing but success with the hockey team. What's it going to look like when you finally aren't a Stanley Cup contender? I, I, you know, I, I commend the Golden Knights for surviving the incursion of the Raiders relatively seamlessly, but that's not a head-to-head season in no. the same building. Uh, this is a different threat. It's eight or nine home games, and I think it's fair to say when you look at the amount of noise made for visiting teams at the stadium in Las Vegas. The Raiders have not yet taken root there. No, which but is course, unbelievable. Give, give, well, I mean, give them some time. And that's hashtags for today. Joined now by NHL insider Frank Saravelli of the Frankly Speaking podcast and Daily Faceoff, usually on Fridays, but uh, we're switching it up this week with both our Franks. Corrado on Friday, Saravelli on Wednesday. How you doing, Frank? Good. Let's be frank about it. In, yeah. in today's cap world, you have to trade like for like, right? You you can't <laughs> money in, money out. Well, there's a bit Frank, of a. I mean, Frank. I think that would be offensive for Frank Corrado, <laughs> you know, former professional athlete. No one's ever looked at him and said he's done anything athletic. I mean, kind of a big yeah. Thing. Now, um, you might have had a different experience than us with Frozen Frenzy on your side of the border, Frank. And I know everybody in Philly was watching the NLCS game last night. 
But early returns, early observations from 32 teams, 16 games, staggered start, and all of the jumping around that happened on the on the national networks last night. So I think they did a really good job with it. I thought the idea of the logistics involved to get 32 teams, it's hard to find that much building availability and you know, to do it in a spot where you're able to stagger the start times. Now, there's a few things that I don't like about it. One is the fact that it was on a Tuesday in October. I don't think does really anyone any favors, especially going head-to-head with an NLCS Game 7, at least in this market. Um, I think, too, the idea that it wasn't available in Canada is a big miss, and I don't know what kind of hoops would be involved to have a partner do something similar and surf around. I think there's one other instance later this year where all 32 teams are in action again. Uh, So maybe they could write that wrong somehow. Um, The other part of it is I don't really get the staggered start times. And you heard Derek Lalonde, coach of the Detroit Red Wings, complain about it saying, look, our fans are some of the best in the league, most loyal 823 start time, local time doesn't really make a lot of sense for us. And then you've got, you know, other teams starting at six Eastern. So if you're an Eastern time zone, which I say all the time is the worst damn time zone to watch sports, uh, you had six o'clock and then the Vegas Golden Knights Flyers game, an, an East based team, they dropped the puck at 1108 so local time. Like we're closing in on two in the morning. I, I only made it through the second period of that game. That's, that's all I could keep my eyes open for. So that's kind of how it works. The staggered start times, like, did you need it? Does anyone really complain about the bulk of NFL games starting at 10 a.m. Pacific time? They don't complain about it being staggered then, not being staggered. And uh, to Derek Lalonde's point, nobody wants to be in downtown Detroit at 11 p.m. after a after a game. It has changed a lot. I know it has. I know it has. Uh, And did the Super Bowl there, Super Bowl 40, and have been back since. I still wouldn't volunteer it. uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And look, um, the NLCS, I guess they scheduled it up against the NLCS, not knowing when the NLCS would be, but they also scheduled it up against the first night of the NBA. I think it's got potential. It's still Tuesday night in October. Like, it's October. It doesn't doesn't really – Hockey doesn't register south of the border until after the Super Bowl has been awarded. Right, and I do think maybe that's an attempt to wrestle it. You know, well, force the issue. But concept here, I think, needs some massaging. But you know, we'll see what they got planned. Uh, We'll see what they got. I like that they leaned into it. Mm -hmm. Like, so you had George Paros from the Department of Player Safety. He's in his war room doing it. Obviously, the Situation Room's doing their thing. Gary Bettman did a live hit. After 11 p.m. Eastern in his own house. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, you know, the commissioner's up late watching hockey. That to me was like a unique little insight into the NHL's world. I thought they at least they really pushed it. What hard. do you make of the? Uh, I don't know. How did this house look? Any uh, fireplace? He had multiple screens in the background. Oh, you could oh, tell okay. that he's uh, he's he's got it he's all. Got a war room. It's oh, all right okay. in front of him. Yeah. Uh, we had one criticism from our listeners saying. There's not enough good officials to all work the same night all at once. And we know they've got a big quiver of officials, but there were some bad calls last night, the thrown stick uh, in particular that wasn't called. Um, do, is that an issue, do you think, to, to having all the officials working? Does it sap the well dry? Well, they, I think on a good night, they're pretty short-staffed in terms of not even what you or I would call good, 
but how about just experienced right. the turnover in the last five to seven years in the NHL officiating community is immense. Like you're dealing with lots of long-term vets, guys that you, they'd show up in your building and you'd know their name. That doesn't really happen anymore. There's a, a small core handful of guys that you can kind of rely on and trust. I think that's one. And also whenever you have 32 teams in action on one night, you're also kind of bracing for impact as a league. Like other stuff, Jacob Lauko takes a skate right above the eye. Uh, John Ludwig in Pittsburgh makes his NHL debut. He gets knocked out cold on his way down to the ice after making a hit at center ice. Like just weird and wacky stuff that is bound to happen on any time there's that much action. Why um, is it just happenstance? Did a bunch of officials age out at the same time, Frank? So. Was yeah. it was it pandemic related? Why part of it? I think part of it was also um, injury based. Um, look, there's a lot of miles that these guys put on on the ice and off traveling alone. Uh, so there was some retirements. There were some injuries. Uh, there was also like there's a few guys and I don't know their names off the top of my head. I have to look at it, but. A few guys that they were like, hey, this guy's not up to snuff. He's not cutting the mustard here. We're going to move on and go in a different direction. Vancouver fans know what one I of those do, guys. Yeah. <laughs> what I do like is that they've taken a lot of guys, which you can see uh, were recent retirees in the minor leagues and have fast-tracked them like they were ECHL or AHL players that two years after retiring had gone through their entire system and had made it to the NHL. Wow. Corey Savret is a guy that's one of those guys. There's there's a whole handful of them that are recent players that have no officiating experience that basically just jumped right into AHL and NHL preseason games and made it to the NHL quickly. Hmm. Uh, Heritage Classic this weekend. And uh, this is the 20th anniversary with apologies to Michigan State, the OG hmm. outdoor game for hockey. Uh, Frank, what do you make of what the league has done with the outdoor and stadium series games? And, um, you know, will this one be any more special because it's an anniversary of the Flames and Oilers getting together at Commonwealth back in 2003? So actually it was, it was Oilers Habs. Ah, Jose Theodore, Jose Theodore. Yes. So this, it's not a remake, but what I do like is that it is Battle of Alberta. We know that that was um, re- Uh, rekindled over the last few years with those two teams meeting in the playoffs and having some crazy regular season games. So I thought that was a a nice touch was to make it a rivalry game. It's smart. Um, Will it be any more special or different? Probably not. It's actually also supposed to be pretty cold. I think the high temperature in Edmonton on Sunday is minus two. That's the high. Um, So it's, yeah, it's already stowing a bit in Edmonton. I'm going there tomorrow. Not, really looking forward to that part of it uh for for it being late october it's like 22 degrees today here in philly um it just i like the outdoor games i I, at times i felt like they've been overdone but i get where they were their heads at with with this one um have it be two provincial rivals connor mcdavid who may not play now i mean I, i like the idea of it uh, let's see the execution. Yeah, do you think they're going to back off of the outdoor games? Not the Winter Classic, that's a hallmark. But are we going to see a backing off here in the, in the next few years um, to the minimum uh, a little bit just to try to rekindle some, you know, the fact that they're special maybe? Probably not. No. I mean, I think part of it is the cat is out of the bag. And the other part is 
The TV partners love it and because the ratings are higher than normal games. And then they love the business component of it. It's still going to be a massive draw in Edmonton. And I can tell you that ticket prices were really high. Like it's not on track, at least at the moment, to be a sellout um, because this is a pretty significant ask of fans, especially regular season ticket holders that, you know, you buck up four or 500 bucks a ticket. Like it's, that becomes a pretty expensive outing for your family. So I understand why fans, you know, they like the idea of it, but then they check their statement at the end of the month and they're like, holy smokes. What do you think of uh Kraken Golden Knights on January 1st at T-Mobile? I think the setting will be great. I love the idea of putting it in that ballpark. It's always looked really good on TV and um, the Kraken are obviously going to get rewarded for their entrance to the league, that price tag that they paid. And also, um, you know, the fact that you're putting two of these expansion franchises together kind of makes sense. It, and I, I should have been, Vancouver, I was though. just going to say, Frank, I hear you that you're putting there, but you know, as Blake and I were talking about earlier in the week, does Vegas have enough of a fan base that some are going to travel? Because if you make that a Canucks game, gosh, yeah, floods of Canucks fans cross the border and you have an incredible scene and maybe even a 50-50 crowd. It's like a Jays game, right? There, right? Like, so I, I'm thinking I so this is me like aimlessly do you know doing something the other day. I had the TV on, and I think one of the broadcasters from ESPN, not a hockey person was promoing that game and they said the long-standing rivalry between the Kraken and Golden Knights like a long like <laughs> how long could it possibly be like what are we even talking about here oh my goodness uh, speaking of ticket prices and uh, unsold tickets Mark Shipman the governor of the Winnipeg Jets does an interview with TSN's Darren Dreger basically just trying to cool the temperature from everybody wondering about these small crowds in Winnipeg and whether the Jets are going to be in danger of being relocated uh, again. You think there's a greater game afoot here, huh? Uh, I, I do because I think essentially what the Jets, in in answering the question, first off, they provide uh, a definitive statement saying, you know, we're not going anywhere, which is important. But at the same time, the fact that it's even a topic of conversation, what's the first thing you do if you're an ardent Winnipeg Jets supporter? You go, hey, hey, whoa, I don't even want this becoming a topic of conversation. I'm going to go buy tickets. And they were in a spot where their last, you know, couple games, you're, you're dealing with the smallest attendance that they've had in Jets 2.0 history. So I think league-wide, the attendance story is going to be a pretty big one this year. The Washington Capitals so far, 588-game sellout streak ends. This season, the Calgary Flames, Winnipeg Jets, two of the seven Canadian franchises do not sell out their home opener. These are important trends to watch the San Jose Sharks. Mm -hmm. They're going to have multiple nights moving forward where they do not draw 10,000. So in other places, you're going to see the Chicago Blackhawks bounce back in a huge arena. And you're always going to have you know, great crowds in Montreal, even while rebuilding things like that, that are positives, but other teams, the Philadelphia Flyers have huge swaths of, of sections that are not filled by fans. 
that's kind of unheard of in my lifetime being a lifetime Philadelphian. And Never like you couldn't get a ticket to the Flyers before, and now you can't give them away. Some of some of it's by the team's own doing. Like San Jose has not only gone down to the studs, you know, they're removing walls with you know how bad that team is. Anaheim's the same the same way but when good markets aren't putting fans in the seats like philly and, and winnipeg and calgary that is uh far more concerning don't even get me started on the sharks and kevin lebanks thing last week <laughs> well uh, let's go to we're burying the lead a little bit you know the canucks noise around garland was it was that just fan generated was was there actually any momentum a week and a half ago when sort of the name was really starting to turn around or was that agent and fan driven only and was he really not ever that close to being traded i think it's a little bit of wishful thinking it like i i stressed to you guys last week when we mm-hmm. talked the idea of this term being a hugely problematic factor for the canucks and last time i checked that hasn't changed so unless you find a partner that has a deal of equal term or either that a vast difference in cap hit that would create some immediate space um, it's going to be really difficult to move. You're going to have to find a team that's equally unhappy with a player that they have under contract for the next couple of years beyond this one, or else it, you're going to have to attach a really significant asset to it. And I think that's really the spot. Look at what the Canucks have moved out to this point to move on from some deals. It's been rather significant relative to some other teams in the league. You watch the LA Kings wiggle out of Cal Peterson and Sean Walker this summer, for instance, like there have been other teams that have gotten out of more problematic situations than what the Canucks have thrown at some of their contracts so far. It's just that that also probably creates a wariness to then go do it again. Lastly, Frank, um, if nothing else, uh, we'll give the NHL credit for forging a competitively balanced league for the most part. And three-point games uh, are part and parcel of that. Salary cap. Yeah, uh, well, of course. Um, We have four undefeateds in regulation, three undefeateds, period. It's the last two Stanley Cup champions, the team last year, Boston, that authored a regular season unlike any other and a Western Conference finalist last year in Dallas who has the one overtime or shootout loss. Um, It's stupidly early. We're not all that concerned about competitive balance, are we? Just great starts from those four clubs? Yeah, I'm not. I mean, look, teams always find a way to separate themselves. And if you, you know, someone would have told you at this point that the Vegas Golden Knights have done something that no other team that's a defending champ has ever done, or Boston coming off of that historic season and the players that they lost, that they'd come out and have the start that they they would, you probably wouldn't have believed it because it's really rare that it happens. Um, that said, I, I don't have any concerns no. about competitive balance at all. I mean, I think you look at, you know, certainly uh, look at a team like the Flyers. We were just talking about them, three, two, and one start. They have a two to one lead on the Golden Knights going into the yeah. third period last night. And, they've been right in the mix. So um, that part kind of shows you how impactful work ethic has been. And and by the way, to bring it back to the Canucks, I mean, you see Rick Tockett undress his team last week vocally. They've kind of responded in a pretty big way in that front. And guys, we've made it to, this is my last hit in October with you. And 
The sky is not no, falling. No, it is not. Vancouver, no, it's so. snowing. It's, uh, it's snowing on the mountains, but that's about fact, it. This, Frank. Is, this is what we call a yeah. win. This is a huge win for the Vancouver Canucks. Even if yeah. they were to get swept this weekend in the uh, back-to-back with St. Louis and the Rangers, you have manufactured some breathing space for you where the sky wouldn't fall, even in that event. And so. I don't want to be someone that's sitting here taking credit, but I was like, I was in Vancouver a month ago, and I told mm-hmm. you guys, I think this team could be pretty You're good. on the record. They're a playoff yeah. team. And that will uh, instantaneously mean you have to pay a visit every single fall just to ensure mm-hmm. that this uh Or every single month. month. Yeah. Next time, I'll just I'll get into the cooler mm-hmm. over your shoulder, Blake, and, and we'll have some fun. And look, no guarantees. I'm happy to come back on in April and eat those words if they don't make it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, like if you're in Edmonton, just hop a puddle jumper, a mountain yeah. jumper oh, over yeah, here yeah. and come see us next week. I'm sure it'll That's be lovely. That's what cracks me up about Western Canada. They're like, oh yeah, it's our neighbor. Guys, it's 600 miles away. <laughs> like I can hit eight teams in between then and That's there true. here on the East Coast. Brilliant stuff. Thanks for this, Frank. Have a good trip to Edmonton. We'll catch up next Friday. See you guys. Here's some price from All Center Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. On baseball, and just, you brought us the uh, tweet there in hashtags, Blake, about the uh, worst combined records in the 120-year mm. history. And incidentally, the second worst, that 2014 series reference, Giants-Royals, that was a fantastic World Series. Win seven games. That's the one where Madison Baumgartner came in in the fifth inning of Game 7 to close it out for San Francisco right. and yeah. was initially actually awarded the win to go 3-0 and in the World Series before the official scores got together and assigned the win to a different Giants pitcher. But it is a miserable series if you're a Seattle Mariners or Toronto Blue Jays fan. Because Gabriel Marino and Lourdes Gurriel have been big parts of that Diamondbacks offense. And of course, Paul Seawald has been perfect as the Diamondbacks closer after coming over from Seattle in the trade. It brings us to Softy Mahler down at KJR in Seattle. The Texas Rangers rebuild is over. It took two years. The Mariners rebuild has taken nine years. Still in progress. Why? Because the Rangers took every avenue available to them. No, That's no. why. But Jerry Tipoto is doing the fans a favor. That's right. Just stop it with 54% this. 54% of the games. And then all this consternation about the ratings of this World Series. Number one, Dallas was the biggest market in the American League outside of Toronto, which of course doesn't rate on U.S. television. I realize these are not heritage brands, but guess what? Yankees didn't make the postseason. Red Sox didn't make the postseason. Cardinals didn't make the postseason. You had L.A. and Philadelphia as big markets in the National League. Uh, Sadly, they didn't make it through if you're a Phillies or a Dodgers fan or if you invest in those clubs. And then I like this at Brian Curtis. The ratings for a D-backs Rangers World Series will have no effect on your life. (laughs) That's quite true. It's true. And if you're a baseball fan, you can just enjoy, hey, Texas looking to win its first and the Diamondbacks looking to win their first since that famous 2001 series where they beat the Yankees. Let me ask Luis you, Gonzalez. This is the first World Series between two state teams. Ah, right. Um, and when you are the only team in the state, sure, by all means, Arizona Diamondbacks. 
When there's multiple teams in right. your state, what's the point of being the Texas Rangers? Yeah, fair enough. They should just be the Dallas Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Arlington Rangers. Of course, of course Rangers. that's, uh, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth, the Metroplex, so you got a little maybe bit of... Maybe even Austin. Maybe even Austin. Uh, it's a bit so, of a hike. All right, let's get to... Results from yesterday's Bodog poll question. We asked you, Quinn Hughes, is he a top three, top five, top ten, or outside the top ten defenseman? What did the people say, Blake? Mm, top five. Indeed. Percentage? 54. 48. 28% had him top three, 22% had him top ten, only 2% had him outside of the top ten. Now, errors and omissions from yesterday's program, one on me, one on Grady. When talking with John Shannon, I said, I'm going to do a future welcome ad on NHL Awards 1 in the Pacific time zone. I was so inspired after that interview. I did it right there and then, and it preceded John in the show flow yesterday. So Mm -hmm. full disclosure, we recorded John before we recorded the welcome ad yesterday. And then when talking about these Pacific time zone award winners in the National Hockey League, uh, Grady offered Mark Giordano who, of course, won an award in Calgary. Pacific, Pacific Division, yes. not time zone. Yeah. That was Maybe the... Maybe we didn't declare, yeah. The, no, we declared. Oh, it was declared. Yeah. It was declared. I just... It had popped into my head. Mm-hmm. We also uh, tried... We, we also had people trying to catch us on the Quinn Hughes comparisons. Somebody suggested mm-hmm. Brian Leach. Brian Leach is three inches taller, about 10 pounds heavier at minimum. Yeah. So, no, doesn't doesn't count. And then I have a note here on E's and O's that just says international, and I have no idea mm. what it connects so to. If you, so if you're thinking about an E and O from yesterday, if international might solve that yeah, riddle exactly. for you, we are aware. We will absolutely <laughs> account for that on tomorrow's program. I can picture Hassan or Yerky just going through yeah, and trying yes. to find it. <laughs> yes, there's something there now. There they you go, the- Yerky. If you're not busy enough already with your big job there, Find out what the international error was. Bodog line of the daytime with Blake Price. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds, who you like, what you got. You know what? I just have not liked the cut of the Buffalo Bills jib this year. They have not played to potential. I will give you that. The uh, the opening night loss there uh, to the Jets after Aaron Rodgers leaves the game, and then a very winnable game in New England this past weekend that uh, they weren't able to get it done. And the quarterback, I think, used to be able to... I had confidence he could throw footballs through Fruit Loops mm-hmm. for a couple of years there, and I just don't think he's there I right now. I just don't like how the older he's gotten, the more careless with the football That's what I'm gotten. saying. Like It seems like, like he's spraying it. So I'm going Bucks over the Bills, plus 325. Wow, straight up. Straight coming off that awful loss to Atlanta at home from Tampa on your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.